to that in a minute. But uh, I was going on radio here a number of months back, and prior to going on the radio, a friend of mine had called me, and he called me five minutes before we went live on radio, and uh, I said, man, I can't talk to you right now. I've got to get ready to go live on the radio, and he said, okay, I'm going to text you something, and what he texted me was the back of an SUV, and somebody had taken either shoe polish or something, and they'd done in beautiful letters on the back of an SUV, I stand for the flag, but I kneel for the cross. How many of you have seen that somewhere? By the way, that's made its way on the t-shirts and all kinds of things. Well, anyway, I had not heard that before, but it was right in the midst of all that time where Colin Kaepernick was leading, you know, the kneeling for the national anthem thing. And I don't know about you. I, I just don't understand how a guy who at that time was making $19 million a year playing a game, $19 million playing a game. And he didn't have enough respect for the flag of the country that affords him the opportunity to make that kind of money playing a game that he was not willing to stand up, put his hand over his heart, stand at attention when the national anthem is sung and the flag passes by. Anyway, all of that, I'm getting on my soapbox. But anyway, I saw the image that my friend texted to me and I thought, you know, that needs to go literally all across the nation. And so I'm on radio and we're talking about a lot of different things, but in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about what that guy texted me. And so as soon as the radio program was over after an hour, I grabbed my phone, called a friend of mine. I said, hey, could you do something for me? I said, I just got an idea planted in my mind by something that was on the back of an SUV and not everybody can put that on the back window of their SUV. They don't have the skill to do it with the beautiful lettering like that individual did. And I said, what I'd like to do is have a bumper sticker that basically says that without any wording whatsoever. It just says, I stand for the flag, but I kneel for the cross. Could you design something like that? And he said, well, preacher, give me an idea what you're looking for. And so I just quickly sketched something out on a piece of paper and took a picture of it and texted it over to him. I said, look, you take what I've done here and you, man, you dress it up. I mean, this is your job and you make it look really nice. And boy, he did. And what he sent back to me was this right here. And I'm holding it up right here. See how the man is standing, saluting the flag. I stand for the flag. Can you hear an amen? amen. But over here is a man kneeling in front of a cross. It's right in the middle. And by the way, uh, I had him make these into bumper stickers and I put one on the back of my car and uh, I was over in New Jersey. And can I say this? New Jersey is one of the two states in the nation where you're not smart enough to even pump your own gas. New Jersey and Oregon, they have to do it for you. I'm not joking, they do. Because you're not capable, I don't guess, of doing that. Well, anyway, long and, there's other reasons. But anyway, long and short of it is, I was having my gasoline pumped and the gentleman that was pumping the gas, he walked around to the back of my car and I noticed him, preacher, stop and stand and stare at that bumper sticker on the back window of my car. Well, this is a great conversation starter and that's one of the reasons that I like it. But anyway, I, I said, I know you're looking at my bumper sticker, which is up on the window just below or just above, you know, the brake light there that's in the back windows of most cars now. And uh, I said, do you have a question about it? He said, yeah. He said, what does that stand for? He said, I'm assuming, boy, he was assuming correctly. I'm assuming it means that you stand for the flag and you kneel for the cross. I said, bingo, you've gotten it. And I said, do you know why that's the case for me and for many other people in this country? I said, we love the United States of America. We believe we ought to stand at attention when the flag passes by and put our hand over our heart during the national anthem. But I said, more important than that, the only one we should ever kneel to is King Jesus. And so he died on that old rugged cross. And right there, totally unplanned by me, but totally orchestrated by God, 
created by a bumper sticker. I had an opportunity to share the gospel with that man. He didn't trust the Lord, but he sure heard the message of the gospel. And I'm telling you all that for this reason. Folk, our flag is being demeaned right now. Our country is being demeaned. And I also tell you this, that which is being denigrated and demeaned as well is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. People are mocking him. One of these days, they're not going to mock, are they? They're not going to mock. No, they are not. But right now they have an opportunity because of the mercy and grace of God to receive Jesus as Savior. So I want to encourage you about something. Had some work done on my car that necessitated that the flag no longer be on there, just temporarily. It's not one on the back of my car right now, but there will be. Anyway, all of that to say this, I've got a few of these left. I know this sounds like a commercial. One of my friends in Southern Gospel Music, Brother Jeff, you know, you know what I'm talking about. He said, we have a limited supply, and if we run out, we'll go out to our bus and get another limited supply. Anyway, that's, that's not what this is, okay? Uh, this is not a sale pitch. I have just a few of these left and um, I've got some of them here on the front row. If you'd like to have one of these, uh, let me know and I'll be glad to put one in your hand. I'd love to give it to you, but it's designed in such a way that it really does not fade uh, under the you know harsh washings of a, of a car wash or the sun and that kind of thing. And if you know anything about me, I wash my car all the time. So if it survives me washing my car, it'll survive you washing yours as well. But if you'd like to have one of these, I'd be glad to put one in your hand, tell you how to apply it, you know, safely to your car. And uh, you can start being a witness for our Lord. By the way, I've been driving down the interstate with that on the back, you know, just above the brake light on the window of the car. And people drive up next to me as we're both doing, well, I won't say what we're doing. Anyway, as I'm, I'm driving and they pull up right next to me, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, they blow their horn, look over at me, and they're doing this, preacher. They're pointing to the back window of my car and giving me a thumbs up, which means they're in agreement with I stand for the flag, but I kneel for the cross. And so if you'd be interested in one of those for a very minimal, very minimal amount, just let me know. I'd love to give them away, but it does cost a little something to produce those. But anyway, for a very minimal amount, you let me know. And if you're not interested, hey, that's not a problem. That's great. But if you happen to be, just let me know. And uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention to you tonight is what I kind of whet your appetite a little bit about last night. And that is Thursday, not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before that, um, I was on a phone call with the president of the United States of America. You say, Joe Biden? Mm -mm, no, I'm not talking about Mr. Biden. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be political, but I know you, you know where I stand on most of this. But uh, I believe the, the legitimate president of the United States of America. I really do. Uh, I just know too much, and I'm sorry, you know, to, to, to have to go and say that. But I'm just privy to information that tells me there was a lot of fraud took place. Folks, I was watching. I was watching alertly on election night on November 3rd, and you watched like I did. Everything shut down mysteriously, come to a stop, which has never happened before. Literally, I watched Brit Hume at Fox News come that close to declaring that President Trump was going to be the victor that night, and he stopped very short of it, and then all of a sudden everything shut down. Man, what's going on? And what, three hours later, we come back up, and all of a sudden these votes, these votes just appeared from nowhere, it seems like. And uh, by the way, if you've not gone online and looked at the first of the two forensic audits coming out of Arizona, one of them was conducted by hundreds of people, uh, an organization, private organization conducted, sent people to the homes of of places, knocked on the door, checking to see if, if addresses were validated and people that actually they said lived there, lived there and found all kinds, hundreds of thousands of errors in the voting. And that's not even the Senate, the Arizona Senate forensic audit that has not yet been fully released. Parts of it have, and I've seen some of it. Maybe you haven't, but folks, it's stunning what took place just in that one county of Arizona. And already Wendy Rogers, who is an Arizona state senator, has called for a decertification of the vote 
in Arizona. That is not a light thing for an Arizona state senator to call for. All of that to say this, folks, we've got to get our election system corrected in America. We've just absolutely got to do it. And so all of that to say this, um, I believe what I believe because I'm privy to some information. Anyway, uh, Thursday, a week ago, this past Thursday, I was on a phone call with Donald Trump and was part of a spiritual, national spiritual advisory, uh, actually faith advisory board. National faith advisory board is what it's called. And I was asked to be on it, and so I agreed, and boy, I don't regret doing that. I want to tell you, when the president came on, after we prayed twice, and the guy that was conducting the phone call, he unmuted everybody on the call, and we could actually hear everybody else praying out loud together. Preacher, they did that twice. It was awesome. You know what it's like when you gather around the altar and everybody prays together at the same time? I mean, that's what it was like on that call. And you could hear people petitioning the God of heaven, begging for forgiveness for our sin and, and asking God to have mercy on our nation. It was just really wonderful. And then President Trump came on the line and I, I, I was just impressed. I was so impressed about how calm he was, how relaxed he was, not note one in front of him. He just talked from his heart and he talked passionately. And the first thing he did was he thanked God for the American military. He said, I'm thankful for our troops. And then very quickly on the tail end of that, heels of that, he mentioned those 13 that unnecessarily died at the airport in Kabul, Afghanistan. And he talked about them and what heroes they were. And boy, you could tell he spoke passionately about that. Uh, by the way, I watched him. I watched him almost every speech he's ever given. He will locate some service member. And if he can get him up on the platform, he recognizes them. I remember him looking over to his right in one rally, seeing a young man who had given so much of his body, his legs, uh, defending liberty and freedom. The young man was sitting in a wheelchair. And the president walked from behind the podium over there and hugged that young man and embraced him. And told him how much he loved him. If I'm going to tell you something, that means something to our men and women in uniform. And it should. It should. It means he's got their back. So he talked about that a little bit. Then he gave a prayer request. He mentioned a prayer request. We need to pray for all those who are in the path of Hurricane Ida as she works her way up the eastern seaboard. And I'm reading from notes I took that day. Then he acknowledged that there has been election fraud in the United States of America. Talked a little bit about what needs to be done to correct that. And then he mentioned that the number one thing under attack in the United States of America is our religious liberty. Wow. Our religious liberty is the number one thing under attack. And then he said this. He said, I want you to know, ministry leaders that are on here, and there were a number of us on the phone call, he said, I want you to know I love you. I love every one of you. I thought, wow, that's an amazing statement. I've heard him say it many, many times. He said, you know, I've learned to love and respect and greatly appreciate the evangelical pastors of America. He said, the reason I love them is because they'll tell me the truth. You got to know something about that man. I, by the way, 25 years ago, I read his book, The Art of the Deal. It was an amazing book to read. Kind of gave me an insight. I just wondered, you know, what, what, do you, what is a man like that's worth the kind of money and exerts the kind of influence 25 years ago that Donald Trump exerted and had the kind of money he had and so on? And it was a fascinating insight, just a casual read. But I'll tell you what, for him to say, I love the evangelical pastors of the United States of America is a huge statement for him. And it's obvious. I've heard him say it over and over and over and over again. I love you guys because you'll tell me the truth. Well, he reiterated that again. And then he said this, and this is a direct quote. I put it in quotation marks because it was a direct quote. We are going to have to defend in the United States of America our Christian faith. Wow. We are going to have, we are going to have to defend our 
Christian faith. You saying, are you saying he's a believer? I'm not saying that. I don't know. I don't know. I know what I've heard from some people I respect highly about the spiritual condition and the choices that Donald Trump has made with respect to Jesus Christ, but I was not there. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, that's what he said. And he said it with great passion. We're going to have to defend our Christian faith. And then he reaffirmed, preacher, this is amazing. He reaffirmed again his support for Israel. Genesis 12, 3 is still in the Bible. God said, I'll bless those that bless you, Israel. I'll curse those that curse you. He reaffirmed that unequivocally. And then he reaffirmed his support for the life of the unborn. And he said, you know what, folks? And he said, I'm so proud in the right way. I'm proud to have been the first president ever in person to speak at a March for Life. And that's true. First president in history of the United States of America to in person speak. The March for Life, and he kind of reiterated that and talked about how much he loves life. And then he said this, again, this is a direct quote, everything we fought for, talking about the last four years, everything we fought for is being systematically destroyed. And you know what? That's accurate. Everything, everything we fought for. And then he said this, our country, this direct quote again, our country has never been under siege like she is right now. She's never been under siege like she is right now. I noted he was unbelievably articulate and up to speed on everything going on, not just in our nation, but in the world. He talked with great understanding about all of it. By the way, I was uh, uh, listening to him in a speech about, I don't know what, two months ago, a month and a half maybe, a month and a half ago, and he was talking about the price of lumber. And he gave the figure that a two before cost, and he knew what it was. You say, preacher, what's the big deal about that? Do you know how many politicians don't have a clue what a two before costs and what a piece of OSB costs? He knew. There's a reason they call him the blue collar billionaire. He knew. He knew what it costs. I thought, man, it's amazing. Well, the phone conversation, you know, reflected some of his knowledge. And then one final thing I want to point out to you that he said, right as we concluded the call, he said this, he said, uh, you, you ministry leaders are the most respected leaders in the nation. And then he ended with this statement. It's amazing. He said, without God in America, we have nothing. Without God, we have nothing. And then there were some questions that were asked. And uh, there was a question asked by a friend of ours. Uh, he's with an organization called My Faith Votes. Well, it's a great title, isn't it? My Faith Votes. Well, our Christian faith ought to reflect in everything we do, including how we vote. Can I hear an amen? I mean, you know, oh, no, no, no. We separate our faith and our politics. No, I don't. I don't think any Christian can separate their faith and their politics. I think, you know, that we ought to vote according to our Christian faith. And by the way, when I'm talking about politics, I'm not talking about R and D. You know what I'm talking about? The D and the R. You know, I hate that kind of politics. By the way, you know, politics, it's a compound word. Poly, many, ticks, blood, sucking insects. I hate that. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of politics, I hate that. But when we talk about our nation and our future and civil government, which is really God's idea, God's the one who established the home and the church and civil government, goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, reiterated again, the civil government portion is in Romans 13. So this is a biblical concept. And what the president was talking about on the phone call were all the things related to civil government, which is God's idea. I believe God wants us involved in all the things he invented, don't you? Wants us involved in the home, wants us involved in the church. Both of those are his idea. Civil government's his idea as well. He wants us involved in that. And the reason it's become so dark, we call it politics, but it's really civil government. The reason it's become so dark is because God's people have abandoned it. We need to re-enter the fray and carry into the darkness the light 
of the gospel and the word of God. So it was really amazing. And then he said this when uh, one of our friends at My Faith Votes, Jason Yates, who's the head of that, he asked a question. It was kind of around the woodshed to get to it. But basically what he was asking is, uh, Mr. President, are you going to run again in 2024? Well, uh, he was a little coy and he said he was going to be coy. He said, you know, because of your certain laws and so on, you know, there's certain things I can't talk about right now and I'm not going to talk about them. But he said this, and he said it in a lot of the rallies and places, interviews. I saw the Greg Gutfeld interview on Fox News just a few days ago, and he said it again there. He said, there's a lot going on, and he said, I think you're going to like what you see. Now, he's not just talking about 2024. He's talking about what's going to happen uh, potentially well before then. Folks, listen, uh, between now and 2022, midterm elections, about a year, a little better from now, We've got to get our election stuff worked out. And there's a, a forensic audit that's going to be announced coming out of Arizona. The audit's already done. There's going to be one done. It's already underway in the state of Georgia. And by the way, it should tell you everything you need to know. When the Department of Justice, under the current resident in the White House, sues the state of Georgia to stop them from doing a forensic audit, I mean, you're trying to hide something if that's what you're doing. Are you with me? And really, the federal government has no right suing a state anyway. A state can do what it wants to do. Tenth Amendment says so. What powers are not specifically given to the federal government are reserved to the states or to the people. So if a state wants to conduct a forensic audit, they've got every right in the world to do it. So that's what they're doing. They're going to do one in Pennsylvania as well, led by a wonderful man, Christian man, former military man by the name of Senator Doug Mastriano, state senator in the state of Pennsylvania. Awesome guy, awesome guy, man's man. And so there's a lot going on. And when the president referred to, you know, there's a lot going on, I think you're like what you're going to see. He's not just talking about 2024 more. He's talking about something that's going on well before then. And I won't go into the specifics of that now, but I want you to be encouraged, folk. I really want you to be encouraged. A lot of people are looking around and that was the, the way the question was framed by Jason Yates. A lot of people discouraged, frustrated, don't see anything happening. And uh, Mr. Trump said, a uh, lot going on. I think you're going to like what you see. And uh, if I've learned anything about him, he, he, he tells it like it is. And so I praise God for him. By the way, you know, watching what I watched for three weeks coming out of Afghanistan, preacher, can I just give my personal opinion? I could stand for a few mean tweets right now, couldn't you? I mean, I could. I could stand for a few mean tweets. If that's the worst thing we got going on, a few mean tweets, rather than abandoning our people in a foreign country, overrun by Muslims. Are you kidding me? Really? Hmm. Yeah, I could stand for a few of those. Anyway, I'll let's say this, folks. Be encouraged. God's still on the throne. Amen. Still very much in control. I don't think he's done with the United States of America. I don't think he is. I really don't. I think we got something that he wants us to accomplish. And I believe a lot of what he wants us to accomplish is going on right in this room tonight and in this church this week. And that is God wants to send revival to the United States of America. And what I'm praying is we'll have leadership nationally that will favor and facilitate what God wants to do. And folk, I'm going to say it because I, we did three crusades on the National Mall and one in the two in the Pentagon during the George W. Bush years. Those years, though, incredibly, phenomenally faith-friendly don't even come close to what we had the last four years under the 45th president of the United States of America. So what I'm praying for is that God will give us the kind of leadership that we need that will facilitate what God wants to do, kind of help, encourage, certainly not obstruct what God wants to do as far as revival and spreading of the gospel around the United States and around the globe. 
And so uh, you, you be encouraged, folks. Really, really be encouraged. Be back tomorrow night. I'll share a few more things, you know, just tidbits here and there that'll uh, be encouragement to you. And uh, you can share what I've shared tonight uh, by way of encouraging people to watch the service, you know, from the live stream or just sharing with them verbally yourself what, uh, what you learned tonight. Matthew chapter number three. Look, if you would please, at verse number one. Matthew three, verse number one. Do we have an English teacher in the room tonight? Anybody a former English teacher, present day English teacher? Anybody struggle to read English like I do? Okay, some of you, all right, you understand. My mom was an English teacher and uh, I sat in her English class along with my twin brother all the way through our junior high and high school years. And she taught us something, that there is a, a, an expression in the English language, a word called metonymy. Metonymy. Anybody heard that word before? Uh, metonymy, all right. Can I explain to you what metonymy is? Metonymy is the practice in the English language whereby part of something is chosen, singled out, and used to represent the entirety of that same thing. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. What does that mean? How can part of something represent the entirety of something? Let me give you an illustration. If you watch the news, you're going to hear this coming from the lips of the, of the, the newscasters, whether it's Fox, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, whatever. You're going to hear them say this, the White House said, today. Anybody ever heard that? The White House said today, can I say this? The White House didn't utter a single word today, all right? No, that's metonymy. They're singling out the White House, using it to represent the entirety of the administration. So what they're actually saying is this, the administration said something today. Let me give you a little bit better one. By the way, thinking about the beautiful black uh, Corvette out there, uh, my son, if he'd seen that car tonight, here's what my son would say, because he said it a lot. He'd sit behind me, Pastor, as we're driving my Ford F-350 Crew Cab Dually 7.3 liter turbocharged diesel engine pickup truck. Does that send a chill up the spine of anybody in the room tonight? Where are my Ford people in the room? Ford people, come on now. Uh, look around at all the hands are up. Ford people, these are the people who have already experienced revival this week. That's them right there. Any Chevy people in the room tonight? All right. Look around, look around at all these awesome hands. These are the people that are desperately in need of revival. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Dodge people in the room tonight. Dodge people. In, okay, we got a couple of them. My brother says this. Dodge is kind of like kissing your sister. Doesn't do a single thing for you. That's what he said. But anyway, um, now, Nathan would be sitting behind the driver's seat of our Ford F-350 pickup truck. Got our 40-foot trailer behind us years ago. Cruising down Interstate 20, which is as straight, you know, as an arrow. And Nathan would see a car, kind of like that black Corvette, along the frontage road. And I'd be in the zone, Brother Charles. I mean, you know, the zone means you're not awake, but you're not asleep either. Your eyes are like slits. You got your mitts wrapped around the steering wheel. You're on a straight highway. You don't want anybody talking because you're in the zone. And Nathan behind me would go, Dad! And I'd go, what? What? <laughs> unnerve you. He'd say, Dad, look over there on the side road. There goes a neat set of wheels. And I'd look over there. I didn't see four wheels and tires, you know, independently kind of rolling down the frontage road. I saw an entire automobile, right? Dad, there's an awesome automobile is what he meant. But he singled out the wheels and used the wheels to represent the entirety of the automobile. That's called metonymy. Part of something is chosen, singled out to represent the entirety of that thing. You say, preacher, why the English session? Because in the Bible here, we have the Holy Spirit of God using metonymy. You say, really? Look at Matthew 3 and verse number 1. In those days, Matthew 3 verse 1, came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, the phrase at hand means now present. The kingdom of heaven is now present. Why would John say that? Because when you got the king, you've got the kingdom. Can I hear an amen? And 
Jesus has shown up on the scene. Now I want you to notice the next verse, verse 3 of Matthew 3. Listen to this unique description of John the Baptist. For this is he, referring to John, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. By the way, Isaiah is a New Testament way of saying the Old Testament word Isaiah. This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, watch this phrase. Look what Isaiah said to describe John. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his, the Lord's, path straight. Now folks, look up at me for just a minute. John the Baptist is called by the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the voice. The voice. Preacher, there was obviously more to John than just his voice. But the Holy Spirit singles out his voice and uses his voice as a description of the entirety of his ministry. Literally what it means is this. This guy, John, is a life given to the proclamation of one message only. Get ready. The king's about to show up. In fact, he's arrived. Can I hear an amen? John lived his life His voice was representative of that. But his life was consumed with getting his generation ready for the first arrival of Jesus Christ. I believe my life and yours, if you know Christ as Savior, is here on this earth to be lived in such a way that we get our generation ready for the second arrival of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the choir sang about it tonight. I'm surprised we're still here, aren't you? Wow. Look at verse number four. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. Look at me, a leather girdle. Now that's going to conjure up in the English language a little bit different thing than what was actually being described here. My dad asked me one time as a little boy, he said, son, you know what a girdle is? I said, no, sir. He said, it's a device to keep an unpleasant situation from spreading. That's what it is. (laughs) That's not the kind of girdle described here, okay? The word girdle here in in Greek means a leather sash, a leather strap, a leather belt around his loins or around his waist. Is everybody with me? Look again at verse number four. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle, a leather belt, a leather sash, a leather strap around his waist. Look at the last part of verse four. And his meat, his food was locusts and wild honey. Now look if you would please at verse number five. Before I read verse number five, I want to note something. Pastor, this guy shows up wearing camel hair. First time I read that, I thought, man, you know what he's done is he's gone down to Dillard's in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Mall. He's bought himself a finely tailored camel hair jacket that you almost have to take out a second mortgage on your house to purchase. You know what I'm talking about? And he's got that finely tailored sport coat on. But the Bible doesn't say that's what he's wearing. Literally, what he's wearing is crude camel hide stripped off the back of a camel, tanned on the backside. He's thrown it around his shoulders. He's grabbed a leather strap. He's tied that around his waist to hold the camel hide together. And then as he comes into town, he's got receptacles in both hands. In one receptacle, he's got bees, honey. The other receptacle, he's got bugs, locusts. He's popping bugs in his mouth like eating popcorn, washing it down with bees, honey. Can I ask you a question? If you saw a guy dressed like that, acting like that, would you not agree? Call the men in the little white jackets. We got an escapee from the mental ward, right? Right? This guy's different, isn't he? But that's not the response to John. Look at verse five. Then went out to him. Let me read that again. Then went out to him. 
By the way, we have been in Israel. Anybody going on a trip to Israel? Preacher, you know, they do the baptisms in the River Jordan, you know, where it's lush and green. You know as well as I do. That is not where John the Baptist did his baptizing. He was way south of the city of Jerusalem, out where it's arid and dry, about 18, 20 miles south. That's where John the Baptist was doing his baptism. Folk, what I'm trying to help you understand, do you understand the Bible never indicates anywhere in the gospel accounts other than at his death, other than at his death, there is no mention that John the Baptist ever went to town. He didn't have to. Town went to him. And they traveled about 18 to 20 miles to get there. Look again at verse number five. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Folks, I want to ask you a question. What was so magnetic? What was so attractive? What drew people at least 18 miles, some of them more, to go hear this guy preach? Wow. I submit to you, what drew them was that he wasn't like everybody else. By the way, the Brown family sang tonight. I'm going to stand my ground. In another song, they talked about not letting their standards slip. Can I hear an amen right there? Amen. You know what? We're not supposed to look just like the world and act just like the world and talk just like the world. We ought to be, because difference attracts, folks. It is of this incredibly unique man that Jesus, a couple of chapters later, says this, of those born of women there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Preacher, think of that. With the exception of Jesus himself, Jesus being the only exception, of those born of women, there has never arisen a greater than this guy John. And by the way, before Jesus said that, he said, when you went out into the desert to hear him, what'd you go to hear? What'd you go to see? What'd you go to hear? Did you go to see a guy dressed in fine raiment? He said, no, no people are dressed like that. They live in king's houses. Did you go to see a reed shaken in the wind? Somebody that had no courage or backbone or carrot? No, you didn't go to see that either. You went out to see a prophet and I say unto you, more than a prophet. Amen. And then he said of those born of women, he's the greatest. What a compliment. Now, what I want to do tonight very quickly is preach to you on last days living. How are we to live as the generation, those of us that know Christ, how are we to live as the generation that is here to prepare this world for the second arrival of Jesus? How are we to live? Well, let me ask this. How did John live to get his generation ready for the first coming? That's how we're to live to get people ready for the second coming. Are you with me? What's last day's living look like? I want to submit to you very quickly four things. Jot these down somewhere. Number one, last day's living is different living. It is different living. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Look at Matthew 3 and verse number 4 again. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. May I say this? The first way John was different was this. He was different in his dress. Now, now, I could camp out here, Brother Brown, and I'm not going to do that. But, but I want to explain, we ought to dress different than the world. And by the way, dressing different than the world don't mean we ought to dress weird. Right? <laughs> forgive me, forgive me. There was a guy who used to be in the church we attended years ago. I'm not kidding. He was a great guy, Pastor. But I'm telling you, he, 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 every one of his pants were about six inches up above his shoes. 
And it looked like he either was on his way to or coming back from a flood somewhere, all right? And he wore these jackets, Pastor. I'm not kidding. He had a red one, deep red, deep red, blood red. He had a blue one. You know, I don't mean an attractive blue. I mean about as ugly a blue as you could pick out. And then he had a green one. I don't even know how to describe the green one. My brother, he just says what he thinks. He said, Dave, that is puke green. That is what that is. That is puke green. And if you ever said anything to him, he was a great guy. He'd say this, well, the Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. Can I say this? Peculiar doesn't mean weird. All right? Listen, one of the things I appreciate about Calvary Baptist is you're different than the world, but you do everything right. You do it worthy of the king we serve. Can I hear an amen? We ought to dress sharp, worthy of the king we serve. Can I hear an amen? Really, we should. You can do that and be stylish and not be weird. And at the same time, not be worldly either. John was different in his dress. Number two, would you watch this? Last day's living is not only different in dress, I think it ought to be different in diet. John's diet, would you agree with me? Locusts and wild honey, that's a little bit of an odd diet. We have two medical doctors on our, on our ministry board and I asked both of them, both of them, Brother Jeff, I said, how healthy is a diet of locusts and wild honey? And both of them said, well, the wild honey's great for you. I mean, that's really great for you. And one of them said, well, you know, the locusts, I'm not... Not sure how he said, I will tell you this preacher to provide a lot of fiber to your diet. It would make you regular. <laughs> His diet was different. Are you with me? By the way, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. And what I'm imploring everybody I can possibly talk to, especially my preacher friends, listen, we need solid preachers around to the very last. Can I hear an amen? We need them preaching till Jesus comes back. And I've told every one of my men, guys, get as healthy as you can possibly get. I mean, whatever you gotta do. You say, preacher, yes, I exercise. I pump iron, you know, or now it just about crushes me. But anyway, I'm trying to exercise. You know, I wanna be around as long as I can, be as vibrant as I can possibly be. I wanna be that. I want all my pastor friends to be that. Every Christian ought to wanna be that because we wanna be as effective and energetic as we can possibly be till Jesus calls us home. Amen? Amen. Different is dress, different is diet. But I want you to see the big one. This is the one I want to point out. Last day's living is different. And I want you to see that John, and this is the big one that got a lot of attention. He was not just different in his diet and different in his dress. He was different in his demeanor. Look at your Bible, Matthew 3, verse 3. For this is he, says Isaiah, that was spoken up by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one... The voice of one doing what in the wilderness? Say it out loud. Crying. Now, folks, you may want to cover your ears because I want to illustrate what that word crying means. The Greek word, and again, I'm not trying to impress you at all. My daddy used to say this. I know a little Greek and I know a little Hebrew. A little Greek runs a restaurant. A little Hebrew runs a clothing store. He said, that's my knowledge of a little Greek and a little Hebrew. And then he'd explain the word. Do you know the word crying in English comes from the Greek word boao? Boao. The voice of one, boao, in the wilderness. You say, what does boao mean? What kind of crying is that? It literally means this, to shout tumultuously, to shout tumultuously, get ready, the king's about to show up. Preacher, he's shouting. Do you know how different in demeanor that is from the norm of John's day? 
See, in John the Baptist's day, they didn't have pulpits. And they didn't really have what they called church buildings. They had synagogues. And they didn't have a pulpit in the synagogue. They had a stool or they had a seat. And they didn't have the Bible in book form in those days. It was in scroll form, which means this. The teacher, and that's what they called him, the teacher, would not stand behind a pulpit. He would sit on a stool or a bench. He would unroll the scroll of the scriptures this way or unroll it this way. And there was very little what we would call preaching or commentary. It was mostly reading of the scripture. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but most of the reading if you study the scriptures, the New Testament, most of the reading was done in a very monotone, Al Gore-like voice and bored people to tears. Jesus said, John comes on the scene and he's not only not in a synagogue, he's out in the wilderness, about 20 miles outside town. He's not got even a copy of the scriptures with him because his message is memorized. It's very simple. Get ready. The king's about to show up and he's certainly not communicating it in a monotone voice. He's shouting. It's like he believes what he's saying because he does. Wow. His demeanor was different. And you know what that demeanor difference drew people to him. By the way, folks, people everywhere watching your demeanor. Everywhere you go. Everywhere. Preacher, this has happened so many times, I can't even keep count. Happened recently again. My wife and I were at a restaurant. I'm not sure why. Do I look sick? Talk to me. Do I, do I? Okay. People, a guy walked past our table and he did again. He said, sir, can I say something to you and your daughter? I said, thank you so much, sir. I said, my wife's going to love you for that, but this is not my daughter, it's my wife. Oh, I thought it was your daughter. I say, I get that all the time. He said this. He said, no, really, I want to say something to you. He said, uh, are you folks Christians? I said, uh, that's interesting. The answer to the question is, yes, we are. But I said, may I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, why did you ask us that? He said, well, I noticed when you came in, you sat down. He said, I noticed the first thing you did is you put your cell phones away and actually carried on a conversation. Now, that's a big deal for me because my cell phone's going off all the time. My wife's a piano teacher. She has 60-some students. Her cell phone's going off all the time. But when we sit down together to eat, it's a date. Amen? Amen. And so we try to get our cell phones put away. Sometimes we're not able, but most of the time we put them away. He said, I noticed the first thing you did is put your cell phone away. He said, the second thing I noticed that you did is this. He said, I noticed you guys laugh a lot. <laughs> I said, well, if you had to sit over there and look at this, wouldn't you laugh a little bit? Amen. He said, oh. <laughs> Man, with friends like this, right? You don't need... Right. Love you, brother. Anyway, he said, no, I noticed you laugh a lot. And he said, third thing I noticed is this. Before you had your meal, both of you prayed. That's a good thing, isn't it? So he said, I put those three things together and I just came up with a question. Are you Christians? Because it sure looks like you are. I said, we are. In fact, I'm an evangelist. Had a chance to share Jesus with him. He already knew the Lord. But folk, isn't it good when they pick up something different about you? Yes, Rather than sitting there... What you want to drink? Tea. <laughs> you know what a lady told me standing, I don't remember, I think it was a church in Statesville years ago. I was standing at the back door shaking hands after Sunday morning service. She said, pray for me, Brother Dave. She said, today's my least favorite day of the week. I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a waitress. I said, why is today the worst day of the week for you? She said, because all the church people are going to show up. And she said, they're so demanding. 
And she said, they're all so ungrateful on top of that. Folk, I don't care how bad your meal is. That's not the waitress's fault. Do you know how many times waitresses have unburdened their soul to us when we left them a nice tip? One lady at Cracker Barrel burst into tears. She said, you have no idea what I'm going through. I said, tell us, and she did. Man, every time we're in there, we try to bless her. Can I hear an amen? amen? Listen, folk, your demeanor is screaming something. It's screaming something. John was different. Difference attracts. Last day's living has to be different living. Number two, I want you to watch your Bible. Last day's living has to be direct living. It has to be. It must be direct living. You say, Brother Dave, what do you mean by that? Now, I want you to drop down, if you would, please, to verse number 7 of Matthew chapter number 3. Now, buckle in tight. Get your airbags securely ready, your seatbelt fastened. I want you to watch something. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he, and the he is Jesus, or John the Baptist, rather, when he saw many, he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees. (laughs) When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them... Well, welcome, fellas. I'm so glad you're here. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say he said. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, Oh, generation of vipers! Plain English. You bunch of snakes! That's exactly what... You say, preacher, he had obviously never taken a Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. Because if he had, he wouldn't have said that. That's true. You generation of... You bunch of sorry snakes! Look at the rest of it. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Fact of the matter is nobody warned them. Nobody dared warn them. Because preacher, anytime even Jesus confronted them, you know what they always did? Pompous, pious, tucked their thumbs underneath their lapels, and they said, I don't think you understand whose offspring we are. We be Abraham's descendants. I got a lifetime fan right there. I didn't know. No. <laughs> By the way, have you ever knocked on a door in this area of North Carolina and say this, hey, I'm out from Calvary Baptist Church, Union Grove, just knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church. But really more importantly, I'm here to ask you the most important question anybody will ever pose to you. And the question is this, do you know if you die today, you're going to heaven? Here's what you get. Sure do. Sure do. Well, how do you know? Because <laughs> I'm a Baptist. <laughs> Have you ever noticed, Pastor, people answer questions you've never asked them because you didn't say a single thing about denomination? I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Pentecostal. Folks, I'm not about your denomination because you can be a denominational person split hell wide open. Several years ago, brother, I was in a church down in South Carolina, not right near Columbia. A little town was just about 23 miles from Columbia. And uh, I asked the pastor on Sunday afternoon, he said, Dave, do you need anything? I said, well, no, not really. I said, but I do have a question. I said, is there a gym around here? And he said, you mean like basketball? I said, no, no, no. Is there like a weightlifting gym? He said, yes and no. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, there's one around, but it's not anywhere near here. He said, uh, it's all the way over in Orangeburg. And I said, well, how far from here the church is it to Orangeburg? He said, it's 23 miles. I said... <laughs> I said, well, if I want to go Monday morning and go work out, how, how would I get there? He said, go down the end of the driveway, hang a left, go 21 miles. When you get 21 miles, he said, no, I'm not kidding. Right at 21-mile marker, there's going to be a traffic light. Turn left. You're going to go a mile and a half to the next traffic light. Turn right. Half mile down on the right is the gym. Sure enough, Monday morning, I drove 21 miles. Left, half mile and a half, right. Sure enough, half mile down on the right, there was the gym. 
Went inside, didn't say anything, Pastor, about I'm an evangelist or anything. I just said, hey, do you have a daily workout rate? Do you have a weekly workout rate? He said, we have both. I said, what are they? And he told me, and I said, well, the weekly workout rate is better. If I paid you right now, because I got my gym clothes in the truck, if I paid you right now for the week, could I work out today and possibly Wednesday and maybe one other day this week? He said, absolutely. So I said, well, here's the money. And he said, took my money and preacher slid a little document across. It was a waiver. He said, can you sign your name right there? I said, what's that for? He said, if you have something happen to you and you die here at our gym, we're not liable. And I said, "Uh, do you see something that I should be aware of? (laughs) He said, no. He said, it's just, you know, it's it's an insurance thing. I said, okay, so I signed my name. And then he looked at me and he asked this. This is a classic. He said, sir, do you need some help? I said, with what? He said, with the workout. I said, no, I know I look like I need help, but I said, believe it or not, I have done this before. I said, no, not really, but thank you so much for your kind offer. Just point me in the right direction. He said, you go that way, go down a little decline, make a right-hand turn, free weights, you know, over here, bench press is close proximity. And so I said, that's all I need to know. So I go down there and load up a little bit on the bench press, (laughs) doing the bench press. While I'm doing that, Brother Charles, a guy that had the same shirt, same gym shirt on that the guy up front had, had the little logo, you know, from the gym right here on the the left chest. He shows up and he sat down on the bench right beside me, waited until I finished my set. When I dropped the weights on the rack behind me, he slid over and he did this. He said, hi, and he shook my hand real hard like this. He said, my name is Chuck. I said, good to meet you, Chuck. He said, never seen you around here before. Are you new in town? I said, well, yeah, sort of, a little coy. He said, uh, well, what do you do for a living? I said, a travel. <laughs> he said, really? He said, well, Mr. World Traveler, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been on a cruise? I said, you mean like ship cruise? He said, that's what I mean. I said, nope, never have been. That time I hadn't, have since. But I said, no, I've never been on a cruise. I said, have you? He said, no, but I'm going next week. I said, that's awesome. And then he looked at me and said this. He said, you know, I hear about the chocolate fountain. I said, I've heard about the chocolate fountain too. Midnight buffet, have you heard about that? He said, yeah. I said, I heard they're both awesome. He said, that's what I've heard. I'm looking forward to both. He said, but you know what I'm really, so he said, you know what I'm really looking forward to? I said, no, sir, what are you really looking forward to? And he stared me down. He said, I'm really looking forward to the women on the cruise. <laughs> it's exactly the way he said, the women. And then he looked at me and said, by the way, what is it that allows you to travel that you do all over? What, what do you do that makes you travel? <laughs> I said, hi, my name is Dave Kistler. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> i.e. preacher, travel all over America telling people I didn't know Jesus. By the way, preaching right over here in St. Matthew's, 23 miles from here, love to have you come. <laughs> know what he started doing? Backpedaling verbally. Uh, well, uh, uh, he's turning all shades of red, trying to find something to say, you know, to follow up his question and my response. Finally, here's what he settles on. Uh, uh, well, uh, well <laughs> he said, well, I'm a deacon down at First Baptist Church. <laughs> I thought he was joking. Preacher, I did some checking. He was a deacon, First Baptist Church, Orangeburg, South Carolina. Shouldn't have told that. Should have this on Facebook. Deacon, First Baptist Church, Orangeburg. He was. That was a church. Let me ask you a question, folk. If he hadn't asked me what it is I do that allows me to travel, and I said, where was he going to take that conversation? Wasn't going to be good, was it? Look, what I'm trying to tell you is this. John is addressing some Pharisees and Sadducees who are religious only. 
but they don't know Jesus. And he says to them, you're a generation, a society, you're a bunch of slithering snakes. Who hath warned you? Fact is, nobody dared because of what they responded. John says, I'm about to warn you. Look at how direct he gets. This is as straightforward as it can possibly be. Look at verse number eight. Bring forth therefore. You guys come here for me to baptize you? I'm not baptizing you until I see some fruit, some evidence that you've genuinely repented. Look at verse number nine. And think not. Man, it's like he's reading their mail. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children in Abraham. If he wants descendants of Abraham, he can turn the rocks into them. Are you with me? Look at verse 10. Look how direct this is. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That's a Jewish colloquialism. What we say in America is here's the bottom line. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Bottom line. Jews said it. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Here's the bottom line. Here's John's bottom line. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me, talking about Jesus, is mightier than I whose shoes are not even worthy to bear. Oh, he's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Is that not incredibly direct? You see, Pastor, what we're told all the time is you can't say certain things. Man, if you're in the ministry, you gotta, you got to massage your words. And so you know what we do? We paramble around the proverbial multifaceted shrub, which is a dignified way of saying we beat around the bush. Everybody with me? We don't need pastel preaching in America. We need black and white preaching in America that calls it like it is. Not to be unkind, but to speak truth. And what I've learned about Washington, D.C. is The people up there may not like you, but preacher, I've learned this. They respect you highly. If you believe something, stand there and are willing to say it. Because they're scared out of their mind to do so. See, in D.C., you can't even call somebody bald. He's bald. No, 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 no. He's not bald. He's follically dysfunctional. man's a crook. No. He's an ethically challenged individual. That's the term. That man lied. Oh, he didn't lie. He spoke in a disingenuous manner. Any of y'all ever get paddled for speaking disingenuously? I didn't. I got paddled for lying a bunch of times. See, that's a city that rephrases everything to take the offense out. I want you to understand John the Baptist is not unkind, but he is incredibly direct. And he just tells it like it is. Last day's living needs to be different living, needs to be direct living. Number three, and I'm done. By the way, direct speech will get you in trouble. It got John the Baptist in a lot of trouble. 
Because remember what he said, he, preacher, I love this. He dared to enter into the realm they tell you never to go into, and that's the political. Don't broach that subject. You know what, John, he didn't just broach it, he walked right into the middle of it. And he called Herod out and said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. That's the equivalent of a preacher saying to Bill Clinton, what you did with Monica Lewinsky in the Oval Office was wrong. And it was wrong. It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. By the way, if you ever read Josephus or any of the other Jewish historians and they talk about how Herod seduced his brother Philip's wife, it's like watching or reading a soap opera. John the Baptist said, what you did is wrong, buddy. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Listen to his wording. It is not lawful. By what law? Obviously, Roman law. They could have cared less. You know what he's doing? He's appealing to the highest law. By this book, God's law says that's wrong. Folks, I want you to understand something. Mr. Biden can say whatever he wants to say and try to impose whatever he wants to impose. But if he tries to impose something on us that's contrary to this book and make us do something that's contrary to our innate desire for freedom, something's wrong somewhere. And we're going to get to the place, in fact, I believe in some things, we're already there, where we have to say we ought to obey God, sir, rather than men. And whatever consequences come, they come. It's not lawful by God's law. By the way, Mr. Herod didn't like that, so he took John and incarcerated him in prison. Preacher, when you were there in Israel, did they take you to the place where they believed it? They put John the Baptist, incarcerated him. They took us. It's believed by many Bible scholars, not all, but it's believed by many, that it was in the basement of where Herod had his banquet room. And by the way, if it was there, we went down to it. They have a light where you don't trip going down, but they'll shut the light off, and, and you realize if this is what it was like when John was here, by himself in this dank place. And then old Herod has a party to beat all parties. Do you remember that? And his stepdaughter, Salome, danced a seductive dance in front of him. His own stepdaughter. And the Bible says, oh, Herod was so tanked up. He made a statement. And by the way, you need to understand they didn't sit in those days around a banquet. They didn't sit at a chair with a table. They reclined on lounges, sofas, with their legs out this way, prop their head up like this. The tables are real low because the couches are low. And they reach over and pull the food off the table. And moving in and out among all those sofas where the men are reclining is this seductress. And he's drunk and he says, Oh, liked her dancing. So good I'd give her anything she wants to half my kingdom. And Salome waltzes over here, slinks, really more likely, over to her mother and says, Mama, stepdaddy said he liked my dancing's well, could have anything I want up to half his kingdom. Should I ask for half the kingdom? She says, no. And the girl says, no? What do I ask for? And the mama says, you ask for the head of that controversial preacher. You ask for his head on a silver tray up here in the banquet room immediately. So she slinks back over to Herod. And in essence, she says, understand you like my dancing? Yeah, babe, I loved it. Understand I can have anything I want up to have my kingdom. I hope you don't want that. No, no, what do you want? Sir, what I'd like to have, stepdaddy, 
is the head of that guy you got incarcerated underneath this banquet chamber. And I'd like it right now. Do you remember what the Bible says? That scared Herod to death because the people counted John as a prophet. Can I put that in modern vernacular? I can't kill John because what would it do to my poll numbers? <laughs> right? The people counted him as a prophet. So if I kill him and upset the people, my poll numbers. Will... Anybody in here sick and tired of our politicians governing by poll instead of governing by principle? Yes, sir. I've had enough. Where's some character? Richard Burr, Tom Tillis. Where's some character? By the way, I love that little lady, Virginia Fox. She runs all over Capitol Hill in her tennis shoes. She's a dynamo. I love her. She wants to do right. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yeah. Aren't the men like that? So Herod does this reluctantly. Do it. Do it. And a soldier goes down the steps we were taken down. And he's believed, Pastor, the way they would have done this to John the Baptist would have been this way. They would have forced him to kneel, tied his hands behind his back, forced him to lean over like this where his neck is protruding. And then you're either on this side or on this side stands a big burly Roman soldier and he's got a razor sharp saber in his hands and with one pass, sever the head of John the Baptist, pick it up, put it on a silver charger, a silver tray. If you want to see a hardened culture, you're about to see it. Preacher, they're in a banquet room eating a meal and a grisly head shows up on a tray still oozing blood. And they carry it and give it to a girl who was probably a teenager or just barely out of her teen years. And they give it to her and she carries it to her mom and says, Mama, here it is! And there's no record anywhere in the scripture that anybody's made sick His directness got him in trouble. But last day's living is different and direct. Number three, it is this. It is diminished. Last day's living is diminished living. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Before John was beheaded, hmm, preacher, he had a little lapse for a few minutes, didn't he? He sent some of his disciples to ask, Jesus, are you the one that we're supposed to look for? Are you the Messiah or do we look for another? Do any of you remember this? And Jesus told him, you go back and tell John. And he began to describe all the miracles that were performed just to encourage old John. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, a prophet's made out of the same stuff you are. A little bit later, right before he's killed, his disciples show up. And they say something to John. I've often wondered, what were they trying to elicit from him? What were they looking for? Because they say, John, you know, the one you prepared the way for, Jesus, he's here. And he's out there in the wilderness where you were. And he's got a big crowd following him. You don't have a crowd anymore because your crowd's now following him. How many of you remember this? It's almost like, does it bother you? That you're in here and he's out there and all the big crowds you had you no longer have it. John settles that forever because he says this, and I love it. 
In essence, he says, bother me? Of course not. It's the way it's supposed to be. He must increase. And I must what? Decrease. Plain Connolly Springs, North Carolina, English. It's never been about me. It's never been about me. It's always been about him. So does it bother me? (laughs) Not on your life. Diminished living. See, Pastor, I'm convinced if we could just grasp this, we would have revival. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my agenda. It's all about him. With this, I close. Mother's Day at my dad's church was always a tenuous time. I was nervous about it all the time because they gave preacher a flower for the oldest mother, youngest mother, mother with the most children present. Can I tell you the mother with the most children present is not a problem. That's innocent because every mother, I don't care if she's 17, 18, whatever, she's so proud of her little baby or babies. Can I hear an amen? Everybody oohs and ahs as they should because they're gorgeous. So that one's innocent and helpless. Do you know what? The mother with the most children is that. The youngest mother is that as well. The mother with the most children, youngest mother, they're both innocent because the mother with the most children, she's glad she's got all 20 of her kids here on the seat with her. Youngest mother, she's glad. But that oldest mama one, boy, that's the one you have to tiptoe around, right? You know what my dad would always do? He was always so wise. He, he knew there was a lady in the church somewhere in this neighborhood, so he'd always start south of that. And he would say this, do we have anybody in the service today, a mother that is at least, and he would start low, 75, and you're a mother. Bunch of hands go up, all right? He'd go a little higher, 80. And this particular Sunday, Mother's Day Sunday, I'm describing this woman that was the oldest mother in the church and dad knew it, she's 85. So when he finally got to 85, everybody's sitting down, she's still standing. And dad said, how old are you if you don't, you don't have to say it, Ms. Weinbarger, but I'm sorry, I used her name. Anyway, um, you'll meet her in heaven one day. Uh, you, you don't have to say, but I mean, if you wouldn't mind, you're just so, and she was, she was stunning, petite, silver gray. Do you mind telling everybody how old you are? And she said, I don't mind at all, I'm 85. And dad said, wow, I can't believe it, 85. Ms. Weinbarger, just come up here and get your flower. She came up here, back. Do you know after the service, they say there's three methods of communication, telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. <laughs> what I've learned is we men are worse gossips than the ladies. Right, ladies? Amen. Amen. Well, Ms. Weinbarger practiced two of those, the telephone and the tele And she grabbed her phone and she started calling around the community and she started doing this. You'll never guess what happened in church today. Mother's Day Sunday, preacher Kistler called me a liar. He did. How'd he do that? Well, I stood up and told him I was 85 and he stood there and said, 85, I can't believe it. He called me a liar. <laughs> My dad wasn't calling her a liar. She didn't look 85, nowhere near it. And you know what the devil used that to split our church? Wow. 
Bless her heart, that dear lady, sweet in so many ways. But folk, I'm here to tell you, tragically, too much of it was all about her. When it's all about you, you get easily offended. When it's all about you, you get your feelings hurt. When it's all about you, all kinds of inappropriate, unnecessary stuff happens. But when it's all about him, it's virtually impossible to offend you. Because preacher, we've not yet resisted unto blood, have we? Nobody's done to us anything like they did to our Savior. And they're not going to. Now it's all about Him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question tonight. Last day's living is different, direct, diminished living. Are you living that way, Christian friend? Now I want to pose one final question and I want you to think about it. It was of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious crowd, that Jesus said you're a generation of vipers or John rather said you're a generation of vipers. Jesus said you're whited sepulchers. Outwardly, you look great, but inside you're full of extortion, excess, every evil work, dead men's bones. What you look like on the outside is not what you really are on the inside. It was Jesus and John the Baptist's way of telling them, all you are is religious, but that's it. It is beyond possible that in this room tonight, there are some people that all you are is religious, but you don't know Jesus. So I want to pose a question. I want you to be brutally honest. How many of you in the room can say with absolute certainty, Dave, of this I'm sure, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm on my way to heaven. If you know that, would you lift your hand and hold it as high as you can? Just hold it as high as you can. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Wow, beautiful. You may put your hands down. Second question very quickly. Is there anyone in the room tonight The Holy Spirit of God has showed you, you know what, you're like one of those Pharisees or Sadducees. Man, you look great to everybody else. Externally, everything seems to be in order. But inwardly, what you really are on the inside, the part that only God can see, man doesn't see, you're vastly different. Is there a man, woman in the room, young person in the room that'll be willing to say, preacher, look, here's the deal. I'm not sure I'm really saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be a fake. But I fear up to this point, that's what I am. If there's anyone not sure you're saved, could I ask you this? I wonder if you'd be willing right now to lift your hand long enough for me to take note of it. I'll pray for you, not by name, of course. But I'd sure love to pray for it. It's too late. You'll get this settled. Christianity's not just putting on the right clothes. Adorning yourself with the right speech. Living a certain way here, but totally different in your private world. Christianity is when Jesus saves your soul and changes your life through and through from the inside out. Is there anyone not sure you're going to heaven, not sure you're genuinely born again? You'd let me pray for you. If so, would you lift your hand long enough for me to see it? Anyone at all?
All right, final question. Here's where I've been headed all night. Last day's living that gets the generation in which you live ready for the second coming of Jesus, like John got his generation ready for the first coming, that kind of living is different, primarily in your demeanor. It is direct, which does not mean unkind. But folks, you've got family members, friends, co-workers, so do I, that need to hear somebody lovingly but very directly speak truth. Because the Bible says truth has fallen in the streets. Equity can't enter. Nobody wants to just speak truth because it's not politically correct, but it is biblically correct. Last day's living is direct. And perhaps most important, last day's living is diminished living. It's lived not about you, your wants, your comforts, your agenda, your desires. It's all about Him. Now, I don't want you to raise a hand to this question. Just answer it in your heart. Are you living like John lived? Is that how you entered the room tonight? A different, direct, diminished life. Or if you were honest, would you have to say, you know what, Mm, I'm coming up short on some of those things. But I want to live that way. I want to live that way. Folks, you're going to understand tomorrow night and Wednesday night why this is so critical. God's church, God's people have to live that way because last day's living demands it. We got a world watching. It can't be about us. It must not be about us. It must be all about Him. Now here's my appeal tonight. The musicians are going to play in just a few seconds. And when they do, if God has spoken to you, sir, ma'am, young man, young lady, if you know Christ, and you'd be willing to say, wow, Brother Kistler, I get this. I get it. Last day's living is different, direct, and diminished. And with the help of God, from this night forward, 13th of September, 2021, if God will help me from this night forward, it is my intent, it is my sincerest desire to on purpose live like John the Baptist lived to get my generation ready for Jesus' second and soon coming. If that's the desire of your heart, I wonder if you'd be willing to just step out from where you're going to be standing and gather around this altar and tell God that and mean it. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Father, would you bless this very brief but vitally important invitation And Lord, for your glory, for the good of your church, and for the sake of a world that desperately needs to see it, may this altar be filled with Christians saying, I'm going to live a different, direct, and diminished life. And Father, may we not just say it, may we do it in your power, is my prayer. Folks, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Some are on their way. Would you be willing to join us tonight? God, if you'll help me, trust me, he will. If you want him to, he will. I'm going to live a different life, a direct life, a diminished life to get my generation ready 
for the second coming of my Savior. And by the way, if there's some sin in your life you need to lay down here at the altar and leave it, do that. Do that. Last night we talked about there being nothing worth you going to hell over. Tonight there's nothing worth a friend of yours going to hell over. They're reading your life more than they're reading anything else. They're looking for a different demeanor. They're looking for somebody who loves the truth and will live it. And somebody who will not make it all about them, but about someone far greater than them. And that someone is Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for putting into the pages of sacred scripture the life, the phenomenal life of this man, John the Baptist. Father, I pray we'd have learned something tonight, but not just learned, but Lord, may we live that which we've learned. Because Lord, your word is so clear. If any man be a hearer, but not a doer of the word, we deceive our own selves. So Father, we set ourselves up for such subtle deception self-deception will not even know what's happening unless someone comes and tells us hey you're deceiving yourself here so father lest that happen and we deceive ourselves may we be doers of that which we've heard tonight and live out this most important truth and father may you be glorified and may the impact in the lost world be great and father we'll give you praise thanksgiving glory and honor for it all because Jesus we ask it in your name the name above every name in the name of Jesus.